Hello, my friends. This is life coach Mike Chargman, and welcome to an episode of Mike's Search for Meaning. I'm after some big questions. Why are we here? What makes a fulfilling life? How can we grow individually and collectively? Each episode, I'll dive deep with leaders who are doing great work in the world and see how they organize their life. Books read, value systems, resources used, and stories that show how each of you can create the life and the world of your dreams. On today's episode, my guest is Julie Ann Otis. Julie Ann Otis is an intuitive healer and somatic therapist committed to an experience of ease for everybody. That is her slogan. She founded Samana Consulting in 2014 with the mission of empowering people to radically change their reality. Her work combines Buddhist psychology, somatic therapy, creative arts, shamanic practices, dream work, meditation, and energy healing. She has more than a decade of experience in Vipassana meditation and body-mind integration and work including authentic movement, focused-oriented therapy, and Jinshin Jitsu. She has studied with Seven Stones Leadership, the Focusing Institute, Spirit Rock Meditation Center, Insight Meditation Society, Cambridge Insight Meditation Center, and Del Arte International. As you could tell from her bio, Julianne has a lot of experience in an area that I've been exploring a lot more recently, the natural intelligence of our body. And for most of my life, for I'm 30 years old, for the first 29 plus years of my life, I've mostly lived from the neck up. I've tried to figure everything out in my head. And while I considered myself an intuitive person, I kind of shut that part of me off. And the last year or so, I've really been exploring how can I tap into what my body is communicating to me? We can call that intuitive intelligence. We can call it somatic intelligence, somatic awareness. And in this conversation, Julianne explores with me, what is that like? How does she guide her clients into that? What was her journey like? She also described herself as a absolute rugged materialist at one point. And she had her own journey into discovering the depths of her body. We also in this conversation talk about living with ease and letting go. Two things that are not very commonly spoken about in the Western world. We think that everything needs to be tough and that we need to gut it out and bootstrap our way through things. And so I really love Julianne's invitation into how can we live easily? How can we, like, what would life look like if it were really easy and we weren't grinding it out all the time? So I think you're really going to learn a lot from this conversation. I know that I did. I even got called out a couple of times on my conditioning, and I'm trying to consistently unlearn myself. Without further ado, take a deep breath, (sighs) settle in, and enjoy this conversation with Julianne Otis. Julianne, welcome to the show. Welcome to Mike's Search for Meaning. Yay. So happy to be here. How are you? I'm good. I've really been looking forward to having you on. I really, in the short experience I've had with you, have admired your work and want to share it with with the rest of the world. And I wanted to start with the same way I've been starting with a lot of my guests. I want to know what it was like. Like, I know you're from Nebraska, and I would never compute that that would be uh, (laughs) someone that would end up being a healer and a coach. What was it like at the dinner table in the Otis household? (laughs) Well, I want to say Nebraska is a great place to be from. There are a lot of healers in Nebraska, not probably in the way that we think about them in New England, but there are a lot of healers in Nebraska. And I think that it's, um, it's amazing to be from a family where my mom is a spiritual counselor. Um, she's an artist. She's a photographer. Um, she was the first uh, certified Tai Chi Cha teacher in Nebraska, which is amazing. And there's also a lot of different kinds of, of healers. I think especially in the Midwest, there's a special relationship to the land there. So there's a lot of plant-based healers out there as well. 
but certainly the healing and the somatic work that we think about out here in New England is usually a little bit different. You know, mindfulness, I think, starts at, started at the coast and made its way into uh-huh. the Midwest, but also the, the commercialization of mindfulness made its way out from the coast and then into the Midwest. So, um, but to answer your question, when I was growing up, both of my parents actually were insurance agents. And so, and I uh, grew up to work in, and also we're very philanthropic, uh, very service oriented. Um, And so I grew up doing theater and I was a theater and philosophy major uh, undergrad at Tufts and always knew that I wanted to work in theater. And I did that um, and worked in not-for-profit management for arts organizations up until 2013. Um, so it was a completely different life to, to manage nonprofit organizations and be in that world and then make a big shift into a whole new identity as an artist and as a healer and really working with all these forms that are through the body, from to and through the body. And it's been interesting to see my parents' journey and my sister's journey really paralleling that, which also then parallels what's happening in our country and what's paralleling what's happening in the world um, as we all kind of wake up to more experiences from through and to the body mm-hmm. in a lot of different ways. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it actually sounds like you from a pretty young age were encouraged to pursue artistry and expression of yourself. And before recording this episode, we've kind of connected about the fact that you, like you said, your parents are both insurance agents. And I'm wondering, is that where your analytical side came from? And could you tell me more about your analytical side of your personality? Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to tell you something funny. I was, when I was hanging out with my uh, boyfriend a couple weeks ago, he said, it's like, it's like you're a hippie, but you're really well organized. And I said, it's like you're complimenting me. Yeah, you're insulting me. <laughs> so, and it, I mean, that really cuts right to it. There's, um, there's such a disservice that we do when we think about artists, therapists, healers as somehow I don't know, not having their shit together or not being being analytical, um, not being, not having scientific minds, you know, not having, you know, rigorous um, intellectual analytical uh, resources and tools and skills that we employ. And certainly the best healers that I've ever worked with, the best coaches I've ever worked with have an amazing balance, have an amazing balance between that left brained delight of slicing and dicing and, you know, amazing intellect. And then they also have the emotional intelligence, you know, that's really active, but they have a third piece that we're really not talking about in business yet, which is intuitive intelligence. Mm. And so in the same way that we're doing a lot of other rebalancing right now in this country, um, in terms of racial justice, in terms of women's rights, you know, it's not just about you know, kind of leaning a little bit more on the side that's been disenfranchised, it's really supporting a lot more on the part that's been, you know, not tapped into those resources that we haven't tapped into. So when I work with clients, we really go 90% into that somatic intelligence and intuitive intelligence because we're already so smart. (laughs) Clients are already, they're so smart. They already have at least some measure of emotional intelligence, but they really don't, they're not really tapping much into somatic intelligence and intuitive intelligence until it's like screaming at them at an 11. Do you know what I mean? Yes. So like a lot of people, I think that I was uh, really well-trained and supported partly because of my privilege growing up how I grew up, um, the color that I am, the resources that I had available led to me being, you know, trained in a very standard model to, to be analytically smart, you know, and it was really, uh, investing the time and energy and having the courage to shift into a whole other different education um, that that took something, you know, so the analytical part is actually pretty easy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I love the way that you put that because that's something that I only recently have come more to terms with is that 
it doesn't need to, they don't work in silos. It's not, you're either analytical or right. intuitive or right. creative or any of these things. Right. I, I always bucketed myself as analytical and that I had no creativity and that stuff has all been coming online for me a lot in the last couple of years, yeah. especially as I continue to grow as a coach and grow my practice. There are a couple of things I kind of want to tease out from what you were saying. Sure. Actually, if I can, I just want to name, you saying, you saying that word siloing and siloed, that has been at the root of my journey, or it's really been like a, a really important framework for this journey. In the same way that we, I think some people still talk about work-life balance, but that's so old. Like work is not different than life, uh -huh. <laughs> you know, in the same way that your analytical intelligence is not separate from your somatic and intuitive intelligence. And it really does feel like an unsiloing. And then it starts to feel like an integration at first, a little uncomfortable. And then it starts to feel like yeah. a really great integration, right? Yeah. Like we talk about parts work. There's all these parts that were like, awesome. I've been working in the supply closet for like the last five years. And now I get a seat at the table. <laughs> yes. You know what I mean? So just that, just you naming that as siloing and unsiloing, that is, that's a great um, key and touchstone for anyone who has, um, who is exploring work below the neck right now. Yes. Yes. <laughs> So I thank you for saying that because this that kind of gives even more color for the question that I'm about to ask you. But I would imagine that most of the people who are listening to this are skeptical of the type of work that you do, where maybe deep down they know that getting into their body is something that they want to do, but they try and figure they try and figure it out up in their head and it doesn't compute. <laughs> and yeah, it doesn't. Like that, it just doesn't work, right? It doesn't and then, work. And then it's maddening, right? It becomes this orus forest of the snake trying to eat its own tail. And then it goes faster and faster and it clamps down harder and harder. And we try to figure it out in more and different ways. And we ask more people about it and we just do anything to not let go and go into the body, right? <laughs> Which is exactly how I have spent a lot of my personal development and growth journey is I tried to figure it out up here. And I don't really, I couldn't really language how I got past that or what the turning point was for me. But I would be very curious to hear for you, if someone, I imagine some people come to you skeptical of like, is this really going to work? Just like, show me how this is going to like, what can I do with this? Yeah. How do you kind of guide people from that point into just Oh my God, that's so interesting. So <clears throat> firstly, I'll say what I see in the larger world is that most people on this journey of trying to figure out how to get into their body instead of just go into the body, right? Most people on that journey, either, you know, they end up hitting a brick wall or they suddenly find themselves in total burnout or worst case scenario, they find themselves in the hospital or a relationship gets wrecked or, you know, some big thing happens, right? And I can tell you that, that uh, that's similar to what happened to me, actually. So in 2011, 2012, I won't go into like the huge backstory, but I was, I, I judged very harshly and with great passion, anybody <laughs> who believed in stuff that you couldn't see or taste or touch or hear. Like I was hardcore materialist, like mm -hmm. hardcore and pretty snotty about it, actually. <laughs> like very judgmental and sorry. So I tell people I got my karmic comeuppance for sure when I got like picked by the universe to do this job and have this awakening. So I definitely, um, I definitely like the time to integrate happened. I had a huge upheaval in my life. Um, I ended up leaving my house, my husband, my job, my car, my ficus, my community, like just like had to napalm the entire landscape because of what just like came and showed up in the body. So sometimes that can happen like a heart attack or an ulcer or like the knots in your neck are finally at the point where like a massage isn't going to do it anymore. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yes. 
So, or you're just like, you haven't slept in two months. So <clears throat> that's very common. People just like keep going. And that's just kind of, um, we're so culturally incentivized to do it until we drop. So it's what I really <clears throat> am appreciative of is that everybody who's ever come and find, found me as a client has not been at that place. And I don't know what that says about me as a, as a somatic therapist or coach or healer, or what that says about just how the stars align, but everybody who's come and found me has had some kind of experience, some kind of experience where they've either tapped into something in their body or realize that they want more ease and presence. And they know that's only going to happen if they have some support in letting go. Mm. That's like the plainest, simplest way I can say it where it's like they've realized that something's got to give. Mm -hmm. So it's not so much like I've never talked anybody into anything. <laughs> I, I swear I wasn't really ready to do this work until I stopped proselytizing, which was hard because I spent, you know, three and a half decades pros <laughs> proselytizing yes. about like the best way to do everything. And literally once I, once I started letting go, this work was ready to happen through me and, and through my clients. I'm reminded of something one of my teachers said, I want to attribute it to Ajahn Chah, but I'm not sure. Let go a little bit and you'll get a little bit of peace. Let go a lot and you'll get a lot of peace. Let go completely and you'll get complete peace. Mm. And where we're at, most of us is like, okay, I might be ready to let go a little bit. <laughs> right? Yes. And that's, you start where you start. You start where you start. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Well, I part of me wants to keep going with the letting go, but I think before before we go there, I made a note of two things that I wanted to expound on, elaborate on a little bit. Could you put in your words what intuitive intelligence and somatic work is, just in case my listeners aren't familiar with what they mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. So <clears throat> intuitive and somatic for me go hand in hand. Every once in a while, you might feel something intuitively, let's call it a gut instinct, mm -hmm. where maybe you're not really having a tapped in experience and like how that actually feels in the body, but it's that same kind of deep knowing. So let's say there's uh, somebody you might want to work with as a colleague, or you might want to hire and you're looking at their resume and you're looking at their, you know, tools and abilities. And you're like, man, this person's just like checking all the boxes. And then something in you is like, mm -mm, no, <laughs> like, this is just not, I just have this feeling. I just have this feeling that this isn't going to be a fit, you know, um, <clears throat> that actually is easier to tap into than the other way, which is, you know, somebody not really checking all the boxes, you know, maybe everybody's telling you like, you shouldn't go after that opportunity, especially if people are saying you should be realistic. Yeah. You should be realistic or you should do more research or I don't know about that. Nobody's done that before. Or like, I don't, you know, that's not the way it's done or, you know, but you have this feeling and it's not just excitement. You know, it's not just that ramped up, you know, high octane energy about it. It's just this feeling like it's part of your uh, it's part of your purpose energy. It just feels like a fit for you. That can happen in dating a lot too, where it's like, man, not the person that is really checking the boxes of what I was looking for in a partner, but it just feels really good, right? That one's harder to tap into. <laughs> yes. The other one is easier to tap into. Those warning signs of like, this person is like meeting all the marks, but it just doesn't feel right. So that's how I would characterize intuitive intelligence. Somatic intelligence is that feeling in the body and communication from the body. So when you're bought, when your somatic intelligence is yelling at you at an 11, you might have an ulcer, you might have uh, butterflies in your stomach where you're feeling, you know, excited or nervous or anxious. Um, you might have knots in your neck from stress and like you know, whatever situation you're in that's causing that, uh, might be crazy headaches. Um, that's your body really turned up to 11 and screaming at you. 
So when I start working with clients, we're noticing things at a nine and then at a seven and then at a two. And then, uh, and even from the beginning, actually, we start to notice in our journeying together, not just the negative feedback that's coming from the body, but that positive feedback that's coming from the body. And usually that takes the form of some encouragement that's coming from the body to rest, to rebalance, to let go of some shit that isn't working, you know, to invite in or allow some support from people. We tend to be pretty like, I'm going to do it all and I don't need help. You know, I haven't met a person that isn't like that. So that kind of softening, opening, letting go can lead to some amazing support, even from within, even from the body in the way that things want to get resolved. And as a as a kind of descriptor of what that might feel like if you haven't done that before. Um, imagine if you had a really great dream, like you might be in kind of a quasi stressful part of your life, but just last night you had the most amazing, satisfying, supportive, comforting dream and you woke up and maybe this is like months or years ago, <laughs> if you're listening to this, maybe it's been a long time, but just see if you can remember what that felt like to wake up and actually feel some measure of ease before the mind clicked in with that old story, right? Before the mind clicked in with what happened yesterday in this past week, in this past 10 years, right? Mm -hmm. So that is available in the body and in sessions with people, that's what we uncover. It's not like we go to a place and it's out there and we got to go get it. It's already there in the body, like a spring that just needs, uh, just needs to get tapped back into, you know? So it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be hard. Yeah. Thank you for that. That was very beautifully said. And then the, the other part that you mentioned before that I wanted to elaborate a little bit more on is you mentioned parts work, which me and you have spoken a little bit about, and I do that with Yota, my coach, but in your words, how would you describe parts work? Yeah. So because I haven't been, I don't know, classically trained in parts work, I think that the parts work that I do is more related to focusing oriented therapies. So in focusing oriented therapy, we work with the body in creative dialogue and um, a symbol or sound or color, temperature, texture, emotion, feeling shows up within the body. And then we're in dialogue with that part. Yeah. And as it continues to expand, we might, and as we continue to work with different um, experiences and sessions, common themes and common stories usually show up. And I find it very helpful to start characterizing those as different people at the table or different clowns in the circus car. (laughs) (laughs) And that actually happens not, not through my naming, but through clients naming. Now, you know, traditionally you've got somebody who's like the, the policeman or the control, you know, the, the comptroller, or the accountant, the, you know, somebody who's kind of controlling, you've, you know, you've got um, a part that's more playful, more childlike, um, you know, those are just two examples, but it's almost like when you go and, and look at the, the canon of all of theater, I mean, the number of characters and the types of characters are endless. And so it's very unique and personal uh, who or what pops up. And it doesn't even have to be human. It could be a little, a little gnome in there <laughs> or a little, you know, something that's even an object that just ends up having a personality. So <clears throat> my parts work that I do is more uh, related to focusing oriented therapies than traditional parts work or internal internal family systems. Yeah. yeah. So something I want to add from my personal experience, because this allowed for a, a huge shift in my life is saying that there are no bad parts meaning a lot yeah, of the a lot of the a things bold that statement, Mike. well that's a lot a of old statement a lot of the things that you were describing the some you know some version of protector one of the one of mine is a firefighter like when things go wrong i just want to hit the eject button i want to run away I, no one yep. gets me and just seeing the parts and being curious about them instead of trying to shove them back down and say, oh, that's, you know, like, can't believe I feel this way has allowed me to understand the positive intent that they have. Mm. And then to make the shift from there. 
to see, okay, I understand that served me at some point in my life. And at this very moment, it is not serving me. How can we shift? And are my other parts open to allowing that shift to happen? And if that if they're not, <laughs> that's a hard sell, Mike. Oh, it's that a is hard, a hard sell. sell. If some if if somebody hasn't done this work before, to tell them that there's like no bad parts in there, like all the pieces are totally like serving in some way. <laughs> like, I mean, I can just hear. Okay, I can just I can literally hear people who are listening to this podcast being like, uh, "Why would I be coming and doing this work if there wasn't a part of me that was like seriously crapping the bed?" <laughs> And I would say, but also I hear you like for people who have done this work and have started to go in there, that is, that is often the realization that happens. That is often the realization. Yes. And there are deeply misunderstood parts. Let's just say that. Yeah. Yes, they come across as bad in our minds. Anyway, I, I thought that would be helpful color to add for my experience with parts work, but I want, I wanted to go. I have something, yeah, I have something else I'd love to add to that. Because I'm thinking about the work that I've been doing with clients, especially this past year, what I've noticed is that there's a common tendency when we run into a piece or we engage with a piece that's like not so much helpful anymore, like you were talking about your firefighter, not so much helpful anymore, served us in the past, isn't serving us now, this question of how can we you know, reassign them to another task or what could they do now? How could they be useful? And I've noticed, especially in the past year, I don't go into that question. I am really interested and maybe it's just a little tweak of this question of like, what did they want? What did this part, the firefighter, what did they want then? What do they want now? Mm without me assigning or assuming. And I'll tell you, especially for me as a white person, it's very related to white saviorism and wanting to change and fix and help, right? Like I wanna go in there and give them the job that's gonna be better suited to their capabilities in the current situation. Or even when I think about people that I've managed in the past working as a not-for-profit executive, like, okay, this isn't working for them. I want to tweak this. I want to shift this. I want to move them into this role. How much of the conversation was like, where are you at? What are you enjoying? What might you want to do? You know, and maybe their answer is like, actually, I love what I'm doing. And then I make a choice about like, okay, am I satisfied with like them doing this aspect of their job at 70% capacity? (laughs) Do you know what I mean? And maybe for the, for the happiness and ease of this employee and their long-term staying with us, you know, and offering the gifts that they do have, I'm willing to be like, got it. Like they're just going to work at 70% capacity in that particular slice, you know? So I'm just kind of doing a little bit of translation here. But when we look at that firefighter, they may have some ideas about how they want to be part of this mix that I have no idea. (laughs) You know, that sounds weird because I know it's all one person, but you feel what I'm saying, right? It's like there's something available in that somatic intelligence where that firefighter might want to take a vacation and go to clown school for a couple of weeks and not like long term, you know? Or it might want to go like train other people to be firefighters, or it might want to go, I don't know what it is, right? But without just instead of me brainstorming, like, how can I reassign being with an open question of what does, what does it want now, such that the answer of I don't know is okay. Yes. Such that we can tolerate um, not knowing, we can tolerate paradox, we can build patience and answers not coming right away. Yeah. So we can soften around that, what I call the bardo in Buddhism or that liminal space where things are, are integrating or figuring themselves out within. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that, that really neatly brings me into what I wanted to ask. First, thanks for sharing that. And that's, that's good color to add to what I said. Second, what you kind of teed up at the end there was, in my experience, it kind of a willingness to let go. And you talked about letting go at an earlier point in the conversation. And part of letting go is just being okay with not knowing. Mm. I've had a really tough time. I still continue to have a really tough time. Like when you were describing 
letting go a little bit, that sounds very on par for where I'm at. So do you have examples of experiences where you're working with a client who at one point was letting go a little bit, what that looked like, and then maybe when they fully committed to letting go, (laughs) what did that, how did that show up? Sure. So a couple of things. First of all, you, me, and everybody else, brother, you, me, and everybody else struggles with letting go or wants to let go or has a hard time letting go. So can we just feel that for a minute? Mm-hmm. Like there's this feeling of like, of course, like, of course I have a hard time letting go. Like, look at my life. Look at this world. Look at my roles. Look at my obligations. Look at everything I was taught about how to be a good person or a successful person. Like, of course, I have a hard time letting go. Yeah. So, like, it's it's important. And I think that it's a big piece of letting go is that recognition and self-compassion. Like, if you had a chance to choose at the beginning of your life, whether you were going to have an easeful, pleasureful you know, life where you never really had to let go because you never really grasped. Yeah, you would have picked that, (laughs) you know? So just have that self-compassion leads to letting go and also leads to greater compassion with other people, Mm -hmm. which is a part of letting go. But you got to start with the self, yeah? Yeah, yeah. The the second thing I'd like to say is the way that you are framing letting go is still one of arriving at or accomplishing a new state where you've now like you get your badge and now you've let go at 50%. And then in a few years or a couple decades, you've let go to 80%. Like it's still, you know, so also just noticing the conditioning there, Mm -hmm. right? Like me too. And it's, so we call it spiritual materialism. And I still, I still get there. I still get stuck in that. And not only do I get into that with me and like, man, I should really be able to let go faster and more by now. I've been doing this for 18 years, but I also get that with my clients, right? Like every once in a while, it's like, man, are they making progress instead of like, how are they right now? Just really welcoming for how they are right now. So if you're interested, I'd love to do like a two minute letting go with you right now. Let's. Let's, let's let go. <laughs> let's let go. Okay, great. So, and for people who are listening in, if you are uh, driving or on a treadmill or <laughs> doing something, you can listen in or you could just like hit the pause button or come back to this part later. We're only going to do two minutes. So pretty easy, not a tall order, except for a lot of people, two minutes is like, You want me to give you two minutes for what? So I'll just, I'll just invite you to come into a position with the body that feels the most comfortable right now. And that could be standing, sitting, or laying down and just take a couple breaths, move a little bit. Great. And just notice any resistance that's going on in the body to letting go. And for me right now, there's a ton, (laughs) okay? Like just in terms of what's going on in my body, not even like, let alone all the mental chatter, right? Take a couple of breaths and then see if the body wants to move a little bit, adjust a little bit. If there's little micro ways that the body wants to let go of muscle tension, or if there's little ways that the body just wants to take up more space. So you might feel the breadth of the body side to side or front to back. You might feel into the space around the body, maybe even feel the space that's in the whole room. Again, always moving in a way that feels good or coming to stillness in a way that feels good and breathing in a way that just feels easy, natural. And then again, just notice in the body where there is a lot of activity, energy, resistance, busyness, just with a real neutral gaze, just like that's how it is. And then just notice one part of the body, just one, where there is some neutrality or where there's not so much 
buzz or resistance going on. Taking a breath, just one breath right there. Noticing again, if there's anything that wants to release in the muscles, if there's anything that wants to take up more space. And then possibly there's a place in the body where there's actually some significant ease or joy or power or grounding. And just briefly touching in to wherever that is. One more breath there. Good, and let go. Nice. And then as we make our way back, just come into some form of grounding. It might be a physical connection of your feet or your bum or your back or your pelvic floor, or it might actually be a felt sense inside of grounding, no matter what it is for you, physical, internal. And then if your eyes have closed, you can bring them either to a soft focus, half mast, or all the way open. And then you can continue on with your life. <laughs> and Mike and I will come back into conversation. And Mike, you can share what you felt. Two minutes, Ooh. two minutes, Mike. <laughs> well, that was beautiful. Thank you for that. You're welcome. What did I experience? My, my tension is almost always in my traps, yeah. my shoulders, that area. Something I want to point out is that I almost never make strong observations below the hips. Uh, and I, that's, a, that's a very interesting awareness <laughs> to have around that's my body. A, that's a sneak preview I want to talk about with my experienced practitioners who, <laughs> who, who coach with me. Yeah. Uh -huh. below, below, there's a lot going on below, below the waist. There is, there is. And it's, it's not typically where I notice my energy. So that's an interesting yeah. thing that I keep coming back to. What did you notice? For whatever reason, the, the exercise of noticing what's in the body, I don't know if it's that there is less activity or that I just go right to my heart and my fingers, my fingertips. But I always, my awareness just goes there. That That's where it feels the most alive for me. And every now and then I, you know, my toes get, I get a little tingling in my toes when I feel full aliveness. Mm -hmm. But otherwise it's, I don't know if it's my mind saying, you know, this is where I should be feeling it. And that, that was actually something that I wanted to explore a little bit with you is I think sometimes our mind will, will tell us that we're being in our body. Yeah. And, I have like, uh, or that my intuition is really just my mind masquerading as like, this is your gut feeling uh, you need, like you should be going for this. And it's really just my mind. And well, I'm the word, the word should is your yes. dead giveaway. And then any experience of tightness is also a giveaway. Yes. But the trick with this is if you start doing this trip of, I shouldn't be shooting myself. <laughs> or I should try not to try so hard, boy, talk about doubling down, right? So that's, uh, that might be the hardest part is like, okay, so there's, you know, there's a, there, there's a thing going on of like, I should, and I want to try and like, and, and not trying to get rid of that. Cause yeah. it, it, it's not that it should be a different way. Like right. people should themselves all the time. Yes. That, that just decreases, that decreases over time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Before you ask your next question, and you don't, you can edit this out if you want to, but I just want to make a note that at some point I would love to do an exercise with you in particular that's called five points open or five hearts open because you mentioned your fingertips and your heart. <clears throat> the five points open um, is a great way to take all that wonderful, wonderful energy you got going in your heart and your hands that's like man, that is like high octane purpose energy you've got going on. And to connect that, so that's one, two, three points. 
two points in your feet and connecting to the earth. So if you imagine it as like five points all open, but imagine two of them are not doing, not doing a ton, right? But they are either access points or exit points. Mm -hmm. And then imagine for a moment, I guess we're doing it right now because I'm kind of invoking a little bit energetically, but just imagine what it would feel like to have all five of those points flowing with energy. And suddenly you feel your feet like activating yeah. just a little way. And it's like, oh my God. And then what if it starts going up through the head and then even broader and more globally. So you get where I'm going as I invoke that, right? Well, I did notice a shift there. So yeah. I, we will, we will <laughs> explore that further. Works. Yeah, that's how energy work works. Anyway. Compassion, a word that you mentioned, a word that is so important that <laughs> I just don't think most people uh, allow themselves to warm up to myself included many times. What are some ways that you ground yourself in being compassionate with yourself? And what are some ways that you ground your clients in being compassionate with themselves? Yeah, um, I'll talk about clients first. And this actually goes back to your question about the analytical mind. Because the analytical mind can be an incredible ally in looking at systems, relationships, stories that are not compassionate. So is the rat race compassionate? You know, is, is taking action that benefits you hugely, but is of great detriment to others compassionate? You know, the analytical mind can just kind of run through the list of, and, and here's the thing, it can't, you know, what's going to bark at the heels of that or chomp at the heels of that is guilt. Mm -hmm. It's either, you know, it's either guilt or it's, I, sh I should, I shouldn't, or I'm not enough. Right. But those are all ways actually of sidestepping responsibility because it's not like you clear any of this up overnight. You know, this is the awareness naturally leads compassionate awareness using that analytical mind to see what's not in alignment, along with using somatic therapies and intuitive intelligence to feel what's not in alignment, naturally leads to inspired action that's not a should, shouldn't. It's not corrective. It's just a natural letting go of those practices, stories, relationships, and systems that are not compassionate. So it's a, it's a letting go practice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> if you work for a company <laughs> and that company is doing all sorts of stuff that is really oppressing other people or causing harm that starts to show up. That's why I always laugh when uh, some companies institute a mindfulness program, when their entire focus is on making a profit while harming people or animals or the earth. It's like, mm -hmm. if this mindfulness practice is effective, it's going to lead to your employees quitting. If this mindfulness practice is not effective, it's going to lead to guilt and heartache and cognitive dissonance, cognitive, major cognitive dissonance yeah. and, and a further siloing and compartmentalizing of the work that I do. And I'm not being mindful of that. And then this time of mindfulness where I'm just with the the, the sorrow and the upset about what's going on in here. Mm. You know, it's, yes. it's intense. <laughs> it's intense. So I see that in my clients a lot where what, what just naturally percolates and bubbles up is noticing where there's non-compassionate relationship stories uh, and systems. And mm. then, um, and then just naturally, you know, just by letting go and bringing compassionate presence compassionate awareness, even just open, easy awareness without any agenda of compassion, right? <laughs> Non-compassion non naturally falls away because our natural way of being in the world is compassionate. Like look at a little kid, yes. look at a little kid, look at a little two-year-olds, right? Is there natural compassion present? <laughs> so, and I guess actually that also answers the question of how it shows up for me in my life. My practice has definitely evolved in meta meditation, which can mean either friendliness, kindness, loving kindness. Meta meditation is an amazing practice for folks to use in between sessions with me. 
and I have used, you know, two or three dozen versions of meta practice in my own life. And it is a softening practice. And for those who have not done it, I'll give you a sneak preview that what often, very often comes during the first few months or even a year or two or three, depending on, you know, past trauma and experience can be very intense rage and grief. Very, just very intense negative emotion. And what happens is the body is like, oh, you're listening now? Great. There's some stuff that we would love to tell you about. There's some stuff that we would love to release. There's some, some, some conversations and things that we would like to express that have not, that you've not allowed us to express yet. And it is, it is a compassion practice. It is part and parcel with Metta or with compassion practice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Could you just elaborate a tiny bit more on Metta meditation? What are, what's the, the questions that you ask yourself during it so people can <laughs> people can have it ready to go and queued up so that they yep. can maybe yep. do the meditation themselves that's great so um no questions no questions needed not at all so i'm going to give you a few different ways so vipassana practice is insight meditation and insight meditation is being with the breath or being with the body or just it can literally just be sitting and connecting with any of your senses. These are some examples. Um, when people first start, I definitely recommend guided practice. Like highly, highly, highly re recommend guided practice. And Lord knows there's thousands of guided meditation teachers out there. So just find one who has the same sense of humor as you do, and you'll be on a good course, okay? Don't find somebody that's like crazy significant or dogmatic. Just find somebody who has the same sense of humor as you. <laughs> you know, do it, for, do it for five minutes before you go to sleep or do it for five minutes in the morning. You know, and again, I think as I told you before, Mike, it's more about daily practice than it is about length of practice. Mm -hmm. So imagine it's the same as brushing your teeth. I'd much rather have somebody brush their teeth once or twice a day rather than doing a half hour scrub once every week or two. <laughs> Like really, right? Uh -huh. That is, that's literally how, how that works. So to go into meta practice, again, I would, um, I would work with uh, guided meditation at the beginning. Um, I have some that are available for free. Uh, many other dozens and dozens of teachers have them available for free. Find something that feels uh, unforced, mm -hmm. unforced and easy is what we're looking for here. And then once you start to practice, or when I practice with clients, um, some examples are simply bringing the awareness to the heart, like that's it, and just seeing what shows up there and noticing, and then noticing how it changes, and then relaxing the awareness and letting go of agenda, and then noticing how it is in the heart now, and then noticing how it's evolving or changing, and then letting go of the agenda. <laughs> So you see, you feel the cycle, right? You feel yeah. the cycle, right? You feel the letting go and then the being aware of. So it's kind of like an audience member who's not uh, guessing at the ending of the movie so much anymore and actually just enjoying the movie, right? Yes. So that's one version of metta is simply part awareness. Another one, and this can actually be easier in the same way that dancing ballet or doing bar work is easier when you have um, an actual bar to put your hand on instead of like doing the work in the center of the floor without anything to balance on. So sometimes a nice balance can be offering kindness or offering compassion or even just offering ease and peace to um, someone who is a benefactor for us, like, or, and it could be even, you know, a, a historical figure, a spiritual figure, just offering to them and then to a friend, then to a neutral person, then to an enemy, and then to ourselves. But that right there, going through those five people and working with that as a process, that's like a, a year minimum. Mm -hmm. Like usually I say just work with a benefactor or just work with yourself, <laughs> you know? And for most people, the self is usually the enemy. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> so that can be the trickiest one, right? Yeah. And then if you flip that inside out, oftentimes it's easier to work with receiving compassion or ease or peace from a benefactor and then from a friend with whom you don't have a lot of like, you know, issues going on right now. 
and then receiving just general neutral kindness from the neutral person. And then noticing that there's friendliness that's available from that quote unquote enemy or difficult person, maybe not to you, but just that they have that in them. And then noticing friendliness or kind kindliness, you know, from the self. But that process, that's not like, go sit down and do all those right now. Like that's, you know, I mean, I did Metta for maybe five or six years before it really felt like there was any kind of a shift happening with that neutral person, enemy or self. And again, the first things to come up were like rage and fear. But then eventually it's hard to find a neutral person because suddenly they're all your friends. And then suddenly it's hard to find, a, it's like, whoa, like it's hard to find a difficult person because I'm sensing so much of the neutral in them. Mm. And then after time, and I think this is kind of what we all crave, the self becomes the friend, you know, like the self becomes the beloved. And that's, I mean, God, can you even imagine? I think it's hard for most people to even imagine. What would that be like if you, you know, if yourself was a friend to you and if you were a friend to yourself, like, wow, wow. Talk about letting yourself off the hook way more often, you know, that's letting go. That's letting go. Yeah. Yeah. You want to take a breath? (laughs) Well, hot damn, Julianne, where do I, where do I go from there? That was beautiful. I do want to take a breath with that. Let's just sit with that for a little bit. That'd be great. Yeah. And just see what questions might percolate up. God, there's nothing like the ability to pause. Just think of how many emails you wouldn't send if you could just take a pause. So beautiful. Thank you again for that. Unfortunately, we are running a little bit low on time. And so I, I want to kind of just transition into books read or resources that you would want to point people to that can help people dive a little bit deeper into the stuff that we discussed for the last hour or so. Sure, sure. So I think I have read so much that it's like, for each individual person, there's a different recommendation. So like, for one person out there, there's the anti-career guide by Rick Mm -hmm. Jarrow. For another person out there, there's a book called The Erotic Mind. For another person out there, there's a book called Pleasure Activism. Um, And there, I mean, there's so many more. Emergent Strategies, for our work week. I mean, there's just, I mean, there's just no shortage, right? So rather than like lists, like these are the key books, this is what you should check out next or like mindfulness by uh, Joseph Goldstein. Anyway, on and on and on. Sharon Salzberg. Like, I'm like, I'm going to start shouting out the names of like 30, you know, teachers that I have. So rather than do that, what I'd like to do is just invite anyone who's out there to do a free half hour session with me. And that could be just book recommendations. If you want just like a recommendation of where to read next or what to work on next, um, but also a, a free half hour somatic coaching session um, allows for me to really understand where that individual person is, what they're looking for and where they want to go next. For some people, it's like how they want to let go or like what they're ready to, you know, just what they're ready to let go of. For other people, it's like, No, it's like, I have this thing I want to work on next. I have this thing I want to dive into next. I want to feel into, you know, what's this next path, right? So we can have either of those energies, but doing a half hour session is a great way for free to just tap into what intuitive intelligence feels like, somatic intelligence feels like, and intuitive healing, not just from me as a coach, but doing that on your own with yourself and what, what meditation practices are going to be best for you, what resources and teachers are going to be best for you. And I love that I can offer that clarity for free. Mm-hmm. Awesome. <laughs> so that's on my website. Uh, if you go to uh, julieannotis.com, so it's literally my name, julieannotis.com, there's a link there uh, to book a free half hour session and also uh, full sessions. Yeah. 
Sounds good. I'll, I'll link all the resources that you mentioned. I'll, I'll link your website for all my listeners. So they'll, they'll be in the show notes. And before I ask my last question, is there anything else that you feel compelled to share? Anything that's calling to you right now? Yep. There's, um, there's a few people out there. I can feel it. There's a few people out there who have had extraordinary experiences either in their energy body or in their physical body that might feel like a superpower that they don't know what to do with yet. Or they're like, what the heck is happening here? Or it's just this weird phenomena that's going on in their energy body or their physical body. Those are the people I want to talk to most. So if you're, if you're one of those people that's experiencing something in your body right now, and you think maybe it's because of the pandemic, or you think maybe it's because of other things that are shifting for us culturally or in your life personally, but you're like, what is happening here? Like maybe every morning something is happening or every night something is happening. Those are the people I'm, I'm really ready to serve. <laughs> All right. Give me, give me a call. Give me a call. Yeah. <laughs> I, I hope they reach out. I, I really do. Last question that I ask all my guests, the show is called Mike's Search for Meaning. What does it mean to you, to Julianne Otis, to live a meaningful life? Mm, it's really different for everyone. Yeah. So I guess, yeah, I, I'm having a hard time allowing this to be personal, you know, so let me just allow it to be personal and really be for me. I just, what rushes to my mind is when I was in, you know, my 17th dark night of the soul, because we all have many, I called up my father and I asked him and I was just like in the middle of it. I was like, I just don't even know what my purpose is. Like, what is my purpose in life? And he said, your purpose in life is to enjoy and to inspire others just enjoy life and inspire others. And whew, God, the relief of that, the relief of that. So I don't know that that's the meaning of my life, but it's certainly the purpose of my life. And I tell people I work for the ministry of ease. I work for the ministry of ease because ease and pleasure you know, supporting people, supporting their being ease for every body, everybody's body. That really, that really gives meaning to my life. Mm. Yeah. You're here to that. Well, that is a as good a note to end on as any. So uh, Julianne, thank you so much for coming on. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation as I knew that I would. I want to end with a, a wish for me, you, my listeners, anyone that may they be happy. May they be safe. May they be free from suffering mm. and may they live their life with ease. <laughs> and the same goes for us. I love that. Even those people that are rolling their eyes when they hear that, especially <laughs> them. <laughs> May you awesome. live your life with ease too. Awesome. Yeah, I, I, I join you in that. May all beings be liberated and may all beings be free. Well, thank you again, Julianne. I really appreciate it. And uh, to all my listeners, have a great rest of your day, night, or whenever you are listening. Take care. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to Mike's Search for Meaning. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, share this episode with your friends, and leave a review. I look forward to seeing you next time, my friends. And until then, stay safe, stay well, and keep living with purpose. Peace.